everybody. Welcome to The Real World on CITR 101.9 FM. Uh, today you have DJ Shock Jockey. Well, at least uh, my name's DJ Shock Jockey, but my friends call me James. You can call me whatever you like. And we also have on the panel with us today Quincy and Emily. Feel free to introduce yourself, guys. Uh, hi, I'm Quincy. Uh, hello, I'm Emily. First time on the show. Excited to be out here. Yeah, we're excited to have you. Thanks, guys. Indeed. It's going to be a very fun time. Yeah. All right, so first things first. If you tuned into our first episode last week, you will remember that we were talking about doing a Pulp Fiction beer garden with CITR. Well, we did that, and it went pretty well. Um, we had a couple of bands come out, specifically Listening Party and The Scuffs. Uh, both of them performed. It was very enjoyable. Um, do you guys have anything to say about the performances? Um, yeah, they were fantastic. Or like Scuffs pulled through. First time I saw Listening Party, and... Mm -hmm. Uh, I've got a couple of good friends in the band, so mm -hmm. it was great seeing them. They they really pulled out the bag. Mm -hmm. Indeed, they yeah. did. It was the second time I had seen Scuffs as they had played uh, at the School of Rock Beer Garden last October, and they did just as great of a show as they did the first time. Uh, also, the first time I saw a listening party. Um, yeah, very good band as well. They were playing a lot of covers from Pulp Fiction, the soundtrack, and yeah, it was quite enjoyable. And then, did either of you guys watch the film as well? Um, no, did not get a chance to watch the film, um, was mm. taking in the atmosphere, uh, mm -hmm. that was well sustained by all the beer supplied by Coal Harbor Brewery. Mm -hmm. Good old Coal Harbor, what did we do without them? Yeah, <laughs> um, I don't know, usually during beer gardens, I rarely watch the film. Yeah. Like, it's just nice mm -hmm. having it on in the background, it's like background noise to kind of milling about and socializing at a beer garden mm, that's right. but I mean just kind of the clips that I caught it man it set a it set a tone I would mm -hmm. say and then I don't know at one point where the executives of both clubs and then I guess mm -hmm. a number of the audience went up on stage to dance mm, yeah uh, good old John Travolta and Uma Thurman were up there doing their twists like and we all went up there and we did our own twists and it was pretty yeah, spectacular yeah I like to think we pulled it off mm-hmm and it was also the very last beer garden that both uh, DJ Shock Jockey and Quincy will be attending. Uh, rather emotional experience. Tear to my both. eye. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was good times, though. Sort of a good end to the era, I would say. Yeah. And then last night we had another event. We had a pre-screening of the Riot Club, mm -hmm. which I'm sad to say I missed. but As did I, unfortunately. I had to go to my French New Wave class, but what can you do? But yeah, for those who don't know, the Riot Club uh, played at VIF last year. Uh, and then it's coming out this Friday as well in limited release across a couple of theaters in Vancouver. Uh, it's a film about a sort of fraternity-like organization at Oxford University called the Riot Club. I believe uh, both current prime minister and the current mayor of London both attended the. Uh, it was. It was. It's based on the Bullingdon Club, which is. Oh, my mistake. Yeah, the yeah both Boris Johnson and David Cameron were members, and George Osborne. Mm -hmm. Basically, everybody who can like wield some power in the British government at the moment was oh, in I the see. Bullingdon Club, and. Just pretty, as the film shows, I think, just pretty despicable people in mm. general. That's right. <laughs> like, in the film, they take it to extremes. They murder someone, I believe. At least that's what the trailer would have me oh, think. <laughs> but, I don't know. The Bullingdon Club was just as bad. They would speak poorly of poor people. Mm -hmm. And they would, like, go to fancy supermarkets like Fordham and Mason and trash it and have their parents pay the bill. Oh, dear Lord. Yeah, not a good state. But yeah, like, 
I, I believe we're hoping to do more pre advanced pre screenings in the future. We've had a couple in the past in my mm -hmm. time at Film Society. Mm, that's right. So, uh, my first one, the first one I saw was Cabin in the Woods, oh, yeah. which got a great turnout, and I've never seen the mm -hmm. cinema so full, which always brings me pleasure. No, we almost, I mean, we weren't selling tickets as it was a pre screening, so it was for free, but we were essentially close to sold out there, I would say. Yeah, it was, it was massively packed. And then. Yeah. Uh, Nightcrawler as well. Oh, that's right. Which was a film I was very happy to see mm. in advance. Mm, that was one of my favorite films of 2014. Oh, it was spectacular. It certainly was. All right, well, I think we're going to go ahead and play uh, you a little song right now, so I hope you enjoy this song. Uh, first things first, we got Space Age Love Song coming up by A Flock of Seagulls. Yes, that's the one-hit wonder, and this was their failed follow-up. So I hope you enjoy, and this is The Real World.
Alright, welcome back to the real world. That was just Space Age Love Song by A Flock of Seagulls. Now, you may be wondering two things right now. One, hot damn, that was awesome. Number two, why exactly were they playing that? Well, let me tell you why. Because the first film we're going to be talking about is Interstellar, which is a film set in space, and quite frankly, it's all about love. So, you know, topical. Uh, does Quincy and Emily have a Great choice of song, it? yeah, very appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um... I guess for all those who don't know about Interstellar, which I guess, which I would assume is not many people because it was quite the hit of last year, um, it's a film, the new Christopher Nolan picture featuring Matthew McConaughey, like, I would say past the peak of the McConaissance. Mm-hmm. I would say this was sort of like, yeah, right past the peak of it. This was yeah, like, this was his, like, cementing himself in. a little bit what McConaissance is? Uh, the exactly. McConaissance is... Uh, oh, like Renaissance. Yeah, it's like okay. the it's like the illumination of Matthew McConaughey. Mm-hmm. Uh, post, I would say, Dallas Buyers Club and mm-hmm. True Detective. Mm-hmm. He's now in car commercials. Yeah, before like before that in car commercials as well. Before that, he was I pretty much knew him for Sahara mm-hmm. and films where dazed and confused man. I guess yeah, he he wasn't the central figure of that, but films so, where oh, films where he? like women tame him. Mm. There was a good 10 years or so where Matthew McConaughey pretty much only acted in romantic comedies. He was just that actor. And then, uh, what was the first film he did? I think it was Killer Joe back in 2011. Where what he about Mud? Killer. Mud was the year after that. Okay. Yeah, and he started doing these films where he played more diverse roles, and people started seeing that Matthew McConaughey was actually a pretty good actor, which eventually culminated in his role in True Detective, one of the best TV shows on the air right now, as well as his Oscar-winning role in Dallas Buyers Club, as previously mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, it turns out his kind of southern jewel has some profundity inside it. Like, Mm -hmm. who knew? Um, I tend to think that um, actors who are very stupid are, like, very good at what they do. All right, all right, Let's let's hope he's not listening. Sorry, Um, Matthew. (laughs) (laughs) uh, But essentially, the film centers around him. Uh, He's, I believe, a retired astronaut. (laughs) He's Mm He's a retired pilot. Uh, it was some sort of forced retirement, but it's yeah, because some, idea, yeah. some an accident happened. He crash landed, maybe. Mm. Anyway, the world is in a state of disrepair. There's dust everywhere. Um, the 1930s all over again. Yeah, it's, yeah, and like nothing will grow. Mm-hmm. Humans running out of food. His son's not going to get into college. Oh dear. Yeah, all of these things for him to figure out, and essentially he gets sent into space to look for alternate supplies of nutrition for Earth. Mm-hmm. With a, a group of passengers, because um, he's Anne the Hathaway only included. one who can fly the plane. I yeah, think that that is like mm-hmm. pretty important to at least my take on the movie, which okay. is that one man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 um, also, his daughter, uh, yeah. like believes believes she <laughs> believes uh, she sees a ghost mm-hmm. in her library. I guess like books keep kind of like well, popping in her out bedroom, of the shelves in her bedroom in in the midst of all of these dust storms and yeah uh, that are wreaking havoc on their farm. Mm-hmm. Um, there seems to be a bit of a curiosity yeah um, mm-hmm. that comes from the dust and all of these sort of like binary codes um, mm-hmm. appear on the daughter's floor. And this leads Matthew McConaughey to find, well, and his daughter to find 
um, uh, an underground NASA operative Filled sort of Michael thing. Caine, yeah. Yeah. Mm, yes. Yeah, where they're trying to solve gravity, but that's another. Well, yeah. Nolan film after all, they have to put Michael Caine in there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, he's on some sort of, like, mm. contract, right? <laughs> Till like death it. do us part. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was it was the hit of the summer. Some yeah. would say. Oh, Did it come well, out in the summer? Well, it came out in November. It came out so in November. <laughs> it was the it was the, it was the hype. No kidding. Um, train of the summer. It was the hype train of the summer. Yeah, That's people fair, yeah. people were excited for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was excited for it. I had a lot of good things. Mm-hmm. I also heard some mixed things mm-hmm. from some of the people in the room. Oh yes, I believe he's referring to DJ Shock Jockey there, and basically. I'm referring yeah. to James, but yeah. Well, he's my friend. You can call me that. But, uh, <laughs> How many people are in here? <laughs> That's a good question. Anyways, um, yeah, I am a huge Christopher Nolan fan. He's actually one of my favorite directors of all time. I think he's always been very good at sort of mixing uh, intelligent cinema with the blockbuster. Um, I'm often reminded of South Korean films by him, which is my personal favorite national cinema because it's very much the same thing, just very well-made intelligent films with gigantic budgets. Uh, Interstellar was, however, the first film by Christopher Nolan I did not like. Uh, and essentially why is it was here I started to notice that he was only sort of doing the same kind of pattern over and over again. You've got the one man who's uh, extremely important in his field, who's got a dead wife as well, and that's sort of driving him somehow. And uh, he just has to go out there and be Jesus, basically, you know, just kind of be the best that he can, as Emily was mentioning, one man. Um, and I think this was maybe his weakest narrative of all. Uh, like, as you heard earlier, we played Space Age Love Song. And the reason why is that this film basically boils down to love being the uh, sort of strongest power there is. Um, basically, without spoiling anything, the only reason why Matthew McConaughey is able to sort of save the Earth is through his love for uh, his family members. Um, and admittedly, while I thought the film was, pardon me, of course, uh, technically beautiful, it was uh, some just fantastic shots of space and the fifth or fourth dimension, whatever dimension they ended up going into. Maybe the sixth, I don't know. But um, And it just looked absolutely fantastic. It's a beautiful uh, three-hour trip you're going to take. But uh, the narrative was not able to hold me, and it's uh, just my least favorite of all of Nolan's films, which I've seen. Yeah, I most definitely groaned a couple mm-hmm. times while watching it. I mean, I've only seen it once, but mm-hmm. when it's announced that love is the answer... It was just, and it's not really even announced. Like you're just like pulled into Anne Hathaway's face yeah. for mm-hmm. like five minutes of this like really like saccharine like uh, monologue um, about a lost lover. Yeah, and mm-hmm. space and time and mm-hmm. love and lovers. Yeah, um, and it's. I mean, I. I've seen it twice, mm-hmm. and I think the second time I saw it, I was much more like willing to submit to the corniness of it all, um, just because I feel like the entire movie um, is sort of sustained by this really sort of hilarious drive to like fix um, the planet out of like love for everybody, which, um, when like blown up to, um, like an AVX experience, um, (laughs) is quite like, it's very unreal. So if you, if you just sort of like let the movie, um, like 
take you for a wild ride, then I think that you would be very entertained by it. Like, I was the second time I saw it. Not so much the first time. I definitely was not having any of it the first time I saw it. It just, like, felt very long and wasn't really sure why anything was happening, but... Yeah. No, it was... I mean, as you say, it was spectacular. Like, beautiful film. Like, the way they kind of configure both the wormhole scene and... There's a black hole scene. I knew this before I saw the movie. didn't ruin it for me. But the way they configure the black hole scene is from, I don't know, mathematical data from a black hole scientist, if that's how you say that correctly. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a scientist, Supposedly, that's a yes. Yeah, astrophysicist. Supposedly, supposedly he wept the first time he saw the film because he'd only ever seen the equations of a black hole and never had actually envisioned one. And so it sounds like the film kind of captured that like oddity of space pretty well mm-hmm. and there was a lot of like 2001 imagery for sure yes i would say 2001 is definitely the film that uh nolan was trying to go for oh yeah this one. yeah um but like trying to make it into this sort of like emotional mo- melodrama versus like the coldness and like sort of uh like s- searing critique that i think uh, sort of prevails in 2001. Mm-hmm. Interstellar definitely has a much more like uplifting message, mm. though it is um, it 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 depends on how you look at it, I guess. Yeah. Um, they eventually do save um, mankind, mm-hmm. but at um, quite a price. Every, yeah, everything yeah. sort of becomes artificial, but everyone seems happy, so. I think uh, a lot of both of the film's opinions on space reflects very much on the era uh, they were both made in. Mm-hmm. 2001 was made in, was it 1969 or 1970? It was I want to say 69. Yeah, I believe it was 69. At that point, the Apollo missions were in full swing. They were putting men on the moon and all. And uh, space was just seen as more of this, uh, the final frontier kind of thing, a la Star Trek. You know, it was this... It was the new ocean. It was this uh, area that we knew nothing about that we had yet to map out. And uh, in the 70s, President Nixon, in arguably his stupidest move, canceled the Apollo program. And we haven't really sent that many men into space since. Uh, We've sent some up to the space station and all, but never to another uh, landmass or anything like that. And in the modern day, there's definitely this sort of... Uh, how do I not quite fear, but reluctance to go back into space? And I think one thing Nolan was trying to do, especially with his very environmental message in the film, was to try to increase more of an interest in space, which admittedly I do quite like about the film, but I just feel like you could have had a bit of a better narrative. But what can you do? See, I'm going to have to differ with you there, James, on that one. Um, it just felt so. I think that there's, in the US at least, mm-hmm. there's a pretty popular movement that. NASA should be getting more funding and all mm-hmm. this. That we should be getting into space. And the tagline of the film is, I think, like, mankind was born on Earth. It wasn't meant to die here. Mm, yeah. That's a bold claim, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's kind of set in the future where we're at a point where there's no fixing Earth. Mm-hmm. The message could quite easily have been, well, there's a point earlier on where we could have changed our actions instead of, oh, well, we can always send... McConaughey into space and he'll figure everything out yeah it felt I don't know it it felt a bit pandering to kind of the space age masses fair enough alright well anyways I think it's time for us to play another song 
uh, as I mostly have just criticism for this film, the one thing I want to tell to one of my favorite directors, Mr. Christopher Nolan, is that he needs to wise up. So we're going to be playing Wise Up by Amy Mann. I hope you enjoy. Drink it to
Hempology 101 is a student-run organization here to educate the public about the benefits of hemp and cannabis. Fast fact! Hemp is a renewable, sustainable source of food and fiber. Fast fact! Your body contains anandamide, which is part of the same family of substances as THC. To learn more, look us up on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash groups slash Hempology 101 UBC or come to one of our great events. And don't forget, legalization through education. Sprouts, you've ate here before. Community Eats is back for the summer. We are your local food co-op. We are your volunteer opportunity. We are your meeting place. We are your nutritious Friday lunch. We are sustainability. We are community. Eats every Friday. Come by with a reusable container, donate, and tell us what community means to you. Friday, 11.30 to 3 p.m. Food, fun, friends. All right, you are back on CITR 101.9 FM for the real world. And in case you don't know how to spell that, that's R-E-E-L-W-H-I-R-L-E-D. All right, so we were just talking about Interstellar, Christopher Nolan's new film. Uh, I believe you can catch that at the Norm Theater. You would be right on that front, James. Well, what do you know? Um, every day to Sunday, except for maybe Saturday. Mm-hmm. We'll be playing it at uh, 7 p.m. Uh, we may be playing it on Saturday, in which case it would most likely be 7.30. Make sure to check the UBC Film Society's Facebook page to uh, verify that. And, and though we've said some poor things about the film, like its narrative is lacking... It's still one to watch if you've not seen it. I I would have to disagree. Like, I don't think the narrative is lacking at all. Like, what are you expecting from a blockbuster film? Like, it was, like, wholly entertaining. I'm expecting a Christopher Nolan film. It felt hollow, though. I didn't find it that entertaining. I was... I feel like... I say bored because we want people to come out, but... (laughs) No, I think that if you, like, give it, like, the attention that you would give any sort of, like, three-hour... it, it's basically just a spectacle mm-hmm. and very, very fun to watch, really fun to look at. Um, mm. There's lots of emotional ups and downs, a sneaky appearance by Matt Damon. Mm-hmm. Um, what's not to love? <laughs> yeah, and who knows? I mean, even though some of us have disagreed with the film and some of us have liked the film, who knows? You may have a totally different reaction. Maybe you feel completely indifferent about the film. But anyways, you should come to the Norm Theater and watch it, and then you can tell us about it. So, yeah. Also, uh, I believe this past weekend we had a Film 101 workshop that was about making some promos for the film as well that we'll yeah. be playing before the film. Um, I got to attend um, the sort of uh, wrap-up of that, um, that workshop, which mm-hmm. was really fun, it seemed. Uh, there were a few execs out, a few non-execs. And um, I guess they started the day sort of uh, storyboarding, figuring out just exactly how they wanted to um, shoot the promo, where they wanted to shoot it, who would be playing what roles. Um, and what type of promo were we shooting? It was a mock trailer, I believe. Or mm-hmm. Four? Four. 
Interstellar. There you go. Bingo, bango. That's another reason to come see it. It'll be playing before yeah. each screening, right? Mm-hmm. You so can support we UBC students and their filmmaking just by coming to see Interstellar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but I think that the workshop, mm-hmm. which we're hoping to do uh, more of in the future, next year for sure, mm-hmm. um, was really cool just in that it sort of let you do um, all different uh kind of on-set jobs there's a lot of like flexibility everybody worked together on the story everybody um like had a part to play um there was a dp like you got to try out all these different things that maybe you wouldn't have the opportunity to um like in a very uh low pressure scenario um like practice and uh yeah you got to try uh i guess now they've they've been editing the promo so that's um a little bit of post-production that you can try out there was also um a green screen on set uh which was it was my first time uh using one of those bad boys it was pretty fun yeah they're a lot of fun Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, Um, you certainly have a lot of fun with green screens especially if you're wearing green (laughs) Well, anyways, I think we're going to play as another song. Uh, Personally, uh, this band I particularly love. Uh, They're called Broken Social Scene from Toronto. So I hope you enjoy this one song by them, and we will see you, or I guess we will be talking to you back here in a matter of minutes. Alrighty then.
Do you like laughing, hilarity, radical thought-provoking creativity, and laughing? UBC Improv is UBC's home for improvisational comedy. Theater made up on the spot. Like us on Facebook to learn when our next shows are. Search for us on YouTube for our film sketches. And follow us on Twitter because we want the followers. UBC Improv. Insert cheesy slogan here. Let's get it on. Alrighty then, we are back on CITR 101.9 FM with The Real World. That was just Seven Quarter Shoreline, Broken Social Scene, so named because of its odd time. Really good song. And now, we're going to be talking about Force Majeure, which was a predominantly Swedish, but I believe an international co-production that came out last year. Yeah, um, Quincy and I um, saw it over the weekend. There was a quick um, Ruben... Oostland uh, retrospective mm-hmm. um, last week at the Cinematheque, mm. um, and we caught the last day of it, but just the one screening of Force Majeure. Um, people seem to be crazy about it, um, and really glad we went. Um, I think that I was a bit iffy about it to begin with. Um, I've had fantastic things. Yeah, no, so had I, but um, something about Going to the theater. Yeah. Putting on clothes. <laughs> I guess, yeah. Um, but yeah, <laughs> it was like a really, uh, it was a really great movie. Um, mm-hmm. If I'm correct, uh, I believe, well, I've been learning French recently, just teaching myself French. And uh, force majeure, if I'm correct, well, force uh, means force. I could be wrong on that one. And majeure, I believe, means superior. So I believe the idea is you're supposed to call some sort of superior force. That, like, it's like superior power, yeah. Superior I mean, yeah. okay, so the general kind of plot of the film is that a family's on vacation, mm-hmm. um, essentially because it seems as though the father figure has been working too hard, but has also there are implications that he's, that he's been unfaithful to his wife. Ah. And so they're on this holiday to kind of bond spend time with their kids all this and it's a skiing holiday up in the french alps mm-hmm. um and they're luncheoning on some sort of outdoor deck by a mountainside and throughout the whole film there are these massive cannons on the side of the sides of the mountains which explode like intermittently to cause controlled avalanches and they see one such avalanche while they're having lunch and it starts barreling towards them and it seems as though it's going to overtake the whole deck and like destroy everybody but it's not until sort of like um like everyone sort of got their iphones out while Mm -hmm. the while this like supposedly like controlled avalanche is Mm -hmm. like uh barreling toward them um but it becomes clear very quickly that um like something is wrong with um something something's gone wrong um and as this like giant cloud of white um overtakes the the terrace Mm -hmm. the um the husband um grabs his iphone and his gloves and sprints uh in the opposite direction of his family leaving his wife and their two children to fend for themselves um yeah yeah um and (laughs) so 
the rest of the film is essentially just the fallout of that the kind of yeah the family f- tension an avalanche of its own yeah mm-hmm. um and so we sort of see the um the i guess not only the fallout um of the uh the husband and wife but also um the effect of their sort of um now failing relationship on everybody who comes in contact with them and sort of throughout the film you're um you're implicated um into the sort of gaze of the film um and in the like in a way that makes the film while um very cold and sort of uh formally distant and uh sterile it really um brings you into the sort of like psychological pain that all of the characters are going through and yet at the same time totally um um ruining that connection because these sort of breaking uh, of the fourth wall instances happen at like critical emotional moments Mm -hmm. um a character might be about to explain uh, how they're feeling and suddenly you are cut out of the narrative altogether uh, which I think was a very effective way of um, sort of dealing with the voyeurism that we all um, participate in absolutely yeah there are a number of times where okay well the Two occasions when the couple have like an argument outside of their hotel room, so that their kids don't hear, and their kid while their kids on their, their iPads the whole time, and both of those times we see this uh, hotel kind of custodian on a higher level of this kind of like on a balcony almost, smoking a cigarette, looking down at them, not moving, doesn't speak their language. They ask him to leave, but he just kind of stands there and smokes and w- the viewer is most definitely placed in his perspective like there's a shot reverse shot where you see him looking down and then you're looking down on them from his perspective and you see this kind of kind of awkward Swedish man in his underwear kind of just waiting for his wife to come out just kind of trying to think of what he's going to say to explain himself or kind of not even explain himself just dodge the question kind of lie a bit and there are other that two points which kind of pin down the film which are these dinner parties they have with other couples at the resort where the wife feels almost she has to say something about what happened and so you can feel the tension I've been in awkward kind of situations like that when something super kind of awkward comes up and in the same way that the cat the like the opposing couples may not know how to respond to them the viewer is also very kind of tensed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then and then from those uh, dinners with other couples, you see the kind of almost causal chain. So as soon as, like, the same effect that is had upon the main couple of the film, um, Ebu and Tomas, uh, it falls, like, they have dinner with um, a man in his, I think, late 30s, a divorcee, and he's on holiday with a young 20-something, is how she's described. Mm-hmm. And they kind of do a lot of, like, even, like, psychiatry work with the couple, like, couples counseling almost. And afterwards, they kind of delve into their own conversation about what their relationship right. kind of means and whether or not 
the 30 year old would defend his family what is so um what is so interesting about the um like inclusion of this couple like about halfway through the movie um when it's very clear already that um the main couple thomas and eva um are so far unable to reconcile um their um differing views on the trauma they experienced um that um Tomas's friend, the divorcee, um, he defends Tomas and uh, tries to convince Eva that um, he did what uh, any sort of any any like man would do in order to save himself. Um, he's one of his save himself, thus saving his family. He gives the example of how parents are supposed to. Um, put on their uh, like in the event of an airplane crash how parents are supposed to put on uh, their own uh, like oxygen masks before uh, putting on their children's Mm -hmm. Um, just sort of putting words into Tomas's mouth um, uh, trying to sort of like relieve him of any wrongdoing Uh, whereas his uh, girlfriend uh, certainly takes Eba's side doesn't really say much but um, is uh, definitely more supportive, um, more gesturally mm-hmm. um, on uh, Eba's side than Tomas has even shown, um, like any sort of like understanding of how um, horrible like Eba must feel in this situation. And this move, the movie um, is sort of set up in uh, in a way that deals with this like very clear uh, like binary of of like what it what it means to be um like a mother and what it means to be a father or like woman and man um and the ultimate sort of like fallibility of these constructions that um that people uh especially Tomas like feel that they need to apply uh to their own uh lives in order to um take care of their families um, and so in this way, I think that the movie does a really, like, cool job of, like, absolving most parties of any guilt, mm-hmm. um, just in the way that um, it sort of, it sets it sets up these, like, conflicts as very much like a, a primal or, like, an instinctual problem rather than a, a moral uh, sort of choice, I guess. I mean, there's a lot of lawyering that goes on, especially on Tomas's side. All like mm-hmm. a lot of talk of perspectives. He says a number of times, "I just don't know how that. I don't know how that's what you saw." Like, she stands very firmly by her guns that he ran away, and he just says, mm-hmm. "That's not how I saw it. That's not how I experienced it." And the viewer, the viewer, of the film gets this very kind of objective look at it. And then there's also the kind of use of iPhones and technology yeah. in this way. So he's filming the avalanches at falls mm. and they kind of use it as evidence or she uses it as evidence against him with this couple. And it's kind of drawing him back to earth, yeah. Kind of And then from that undoing moment, the binary almost. Undoing his kind of like patriarchal ability to meld words. Yeah. Well because like for all we know he really doesn't remember it that way. Yeah. And um, because he feels so guilty, like, I'm sure he didn't want to, like, if if it wasn't, like, if it wasn't such a, um, like, a quick, like, 
um, instinctual. Like, it was. Yeah, it was. It, seemed it, very it seems like yeah. very instinctual in the movie. Like also um, uh, does a lot of work to sort of. Um, it, it highlights the ways in which technology, um, such as like iPads or like uh, the the things that we use at like at our leisure, how they sort of like stifle these like instinctual. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, these well, just basically these instincts we have to like protect or survive, uh, protect our families or survive yeah. individually, um, and how yeah, how Thomas maybe just like forgot mm-hmm. <laughs> what he was supposed to do. And in the same way that Interstellar is a spectacular film, this one too, uh, in terms of earthly kind of mm-hmm. spectacle has some fantastic shots of mountainsides oh my god like on the big screen mm-hmm. just kind of popping out at you mm-hmm. seeing these avalanches singing these massive cannons exploding yeah it was yeah it was fantastic it, yeah it was so great just like having sort of the like superior force of the mountains um really like drive home this sort of like um nature versus yeah um like mm-hmm. iphone kind of yeah uh, like other uh binary mm-hmm. yeah one of my favorite things was all about like shoe like footwear mm-hmm. so they're either wearing like ski boots the whole time so there's a whole thing about how he says he can't run in ski boots but then it's, he very obviously it, does. He obviously can yeah but then um, they're either in ski boots the whole time or they're in barefoot in their hotel and there's this kind of distinction between the two which is drawn up a lot but yeah ultimately um, i mean i loved it yeah Mm-hmm. See it if you can on a big screen, if possible. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you guys know so, if it's uh, still playing at the Cinematheque? No, the oh, last okay. screening was on. Um, the last screening was on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I would maybe pay attention to uh, Van City to mm-hmm. see if yeah. they play it. Maybe and this is unlikely, but maybe International Village will mm-hmm. play it. It did. It was shortlisted for an Academy Award. That's right. Yes. Um, nomination. I remember hearing a lot of criticism stating stating that it was the film that deserved the win the most, despite not actually getting nominated in the end. What got yeah. the win in the end? I, I mean, what does it matter? It's no, the Academy the, Awards. Like, yeah. Yeah, the winner this year was uh, Ida, the Polish film, oh, which uh, okay. I did see. It was actually quite good, but um, I mean, I haven't seen Force Majeure, but it could be better. Anyways, uh, I think we're going to take this time right now to play ourselves a little song. If there are any Vine aficionados out there, like good old DJ Shock Jockey, you've probably been wondering, uh, what the hell is I've been running through the six with my woes? Well, you're about to find out, so I hope you enjoy Drake's Know Yourself. Wallet, 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 Pray to real live forever, man. Pray to fakes get exposed. I want that Ferrari, then I swear. I want that Bugatti just to hurt. I ain't robbing my jury, that's on purpose. Again, just want my spot and don't deserve it. I don't like how serious they take themselves. I've always been me, I guess I know myself. 
Shakiness, man, I don't have no time for that. My city too turned up, I'll take a fine for that. That's been where you find me at. That's been where you find me at. I didn't know your name Johnny Blink. He put me on to define the things. Had a job selling Jabot jeans. I had a yellow tech no marine. Then Kanye dropped it was polos and backpacks. And that was when Ethan was pushing the Subaru hatchback. Man, I'm talking way before hashtags. I was running through the six with my woes. Yeah. I was running through the six with my woes. You know how that is. Alright, that was Drake's Know Yourself. If you're wondering why that was the clean version, I'd like to quote uh, one of my favorite rappers recently, Easy E. This was for the radio, so I better chill. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So why did we play that, Emily? Oh, are you curious? Are you really... I mean, I wonder if it's just your passion for Jake or... <laughs> for, for, d- for Drake or... <laughs> some um, other reason. Good old Aubrey. I do have boundless passion for Drake. Mm-hmm. Don't we um, all, really? But I feel like that song is, like, uh, you know, like, about knowing yourself, about, like, running away from your problems, running with your problems. Mm-hmm. You can't escape your problems. Much the like six, the yeah. family in Force Majeure, yeah. directed well, you know. by Ruben Usland, and mm-hmm. played at the Cinematic this weekend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And hopefully you can catch it at another theater in Vancouver, potentially the Van City Theater. But uh, you're just going to have to wait and see. You're going to have to do a little of your own research. But you know what? That's a good thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Always good to dig. Mm-hmm. See what worms you can find. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So we are nearing the end of our weekly hourly show. So I'd just like to hit you guys with a little bit of information. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to be playing Interstellar at the Norm Theater this week. Thursday, Friday, and Sunday. You can find that at 7 p.m. in the Norm Theater. Saturday, uh, potentially at 7.30, but... Pardon me. Remember to check our Facebook page to find that out. Uh, yeah, um, we're going to be playing There Will Be Blood 
at the Norm Theater next week because PTA, and that's really all the reason we need. And if you question that, uh, don't just watch it. Um, so yeah, next week we're going to be talking about There Will Be Blood. It's going to be a little bit of a PTA week, I think. Seems Ooh, like the panel's into that. Yeah. Area. I'm going to take that uh, sort of high pitched as a yes, as well as the yes following <laughs> it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Alrighty then. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we're going to be going over all of Paul Thomas Anderson's films, uh, not just There Will Be Blood, but the Dirk you know. Diggler story, maybe. Huh? Oh, the Dirk huh? Diggler story. I've not seen Part Eight yet. Yeah, neither I'm not have I. Eight either. We have some homework to do, my friend. Yeah. Oh jeez. Alrighty then. So yeah, do you guys have uh, any last remarks before we close it off? Um, um, I think we've covered Force Majeure and Interstellar yeah. fairly well. Remember to hug your children, I think is the message that we can glean from both of those movies. Um, yeah, and don't leave them to dine in Avalanche. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, or space. And be wary of when <laughs> you <laughs> buy them iPhones. Yeah. And if you end up in the fifth dimension, just find your daughter's bedroom and start pushing some books. And I hope that wasn't a spoiler. My mistake. <laughs> 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 you said spoiler, became it's a spoiler. It's too late. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, we'll, we'll let sh- our listeners just. Pick no, that I've one seen Interstellar anyway, right? Yeah, if yeah. you're like worried about a, s- a spoiler for a blockbuster, yeah. you gotta sort out your life. Mm-hmm. You gotta take a chill pill, you know. But yeah. anyways, all right. Oh, so, yeah. thank you very much for joining us. Uh, this was the Real World on CITR 101.9 FM, and let's not forget that was R E E L W H I R L E D. Alrighty then, so today we had Emily, we had our hosts Quincy, and of course your favorite, DJ Shock Jockey. Join us next week, we're going to be back Thursday morning at 8am. Oh, come on Quincy, you know My favorite. Oh, here we go, here we go. But uh, yeah, next Thursday, 8am, we're going to be talking about There Will Be Blood and PTA, and uh, you will be hearing us then. Alright, enjoy your day, enjoy your week, and uh, drink milk. Et tout ce qu'on peut dire, c'est que la musique, c'est vraiment une façon de vivre et pas quelque chose qu'on fait pendant les week-ends. La musique, c'est pas seulement un, ce qu'on fait sur scène, c'est quelque chose à laquelle tu donnes ta vie, c'est comment tu es, comment tu vis et ce que tu fais. Et nous, on va continuer sans aucun doute. We'll continue doing that.